Welcome to Adventures in Podacy, a reflective road trip towards our wit's end. Pop in your favorite cassette tapes and come along for the ride as we discuss faith, culture, and all the ways we were bullied growing up in evangelicalism. And the race is on. Okay. <laughs> Let's go. All right. Can you guys hear me? <laughs> yes. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to Adventures in Podacy, a, a, a reflective road trip to our wit's end. And every episode, we get closer and closer. So uh, this might have set, this might have been second place for the most technical difficulties we've ever faced before recording. Uh, behind only the episode where me and Faith had to share a literal microphone. That was wasn't that after we had tried to record once and we literally couldn't do it. We had so many technical difficulties. Yeah. Hmm. Yes, but every time we get a little more knowledgeable about how this stuff works. So, um, yeah, there is one voice missing from the chatter today, uh, and it is Claire. She had to attend a family uh, event for her family, not ours. Um, so, but she did leave us a little soapbox that she'd like us to discuss later in the episode. And we'll touch on that, but we are joined today by a guest. Emily, do you want to introduce our guest? This is my friend, Josh, everybody. Hello, everybody. This is her friend, Josh. (laughs) No, Josh is, um, Josh is basically our brother, longtime friend, Musical genius, um, the Josh Groban of our generation, if you will. Um, that is who Josh is. Cookout aficionado. Yes. Chick-fil-A red status member or whatever the top member is. Until December 2022. Wait, that's a long time by then? Uh, probably not. <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned, everybody. Josh is wrapping up his final few semesters of school uh, studying music and education in the greater East Tennessee area. And we met, um, actually, we met through Nathan, who is Emily's side chick. And you guys met at church, correct? We Josh, did, yes. Nathan and, yeah. And so through Nathan, Emily and Josh met, and then through. Emily and Nathan, Josh uh, met the rest of us, and we worked together in ministry for a few years. We have um, traveled together, taken road trips together, Um, some of them just 10 minutes down the road to a Wendy's, some of them hours and hours away to Charleston, or actually that's that's the only one we've been on, right? Yeah, that's probably the longest one. Sometimes there's a weed eater in the car. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes, sometimes I get yeah. pulled over. Sometimes I should get pulled over. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I've been, on, I've been on a couple more with you because you drove me back and forth during quarantine. Um, but, yeah, so this is just another road trip where we're going to sit and we're going to chat about Josh's um, – not, not necessarily the story of his life, but just – some of the ideas that he grew up with and how he's grown up and out of um, some very interesting fundamentalist Christian ideas. Um, but yeah, Josh, we're excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I'm very excited and nervous to be here, but I'm definitely 
excited. So good. Cool. We'll see what happens. I'm definitely excited. He says as he breathes shakily. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Emily, do you want to go ahead and give us, she's renamed it. Did you rename it this or did she name no, it? No, I did that whenever we were connecting <laughs> that because I got bored. Sorry. Claire's, Claire's soapbox has been renamed Claire's soap opera. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome, Claire. Yeah. Okay. Well, Josh, then do you want to read Claire's soapbox? Her yes. Soap opera. Yes. With, yes. For those um, of you who uh, missed the last episode, uh, Claire gets a lot of flack from us for going off on long 20-minute tangents that take me forever to edit out. And so we've been giving her short soapboxes at the beginning of each episode in order to discuss uh, a topic near and dear to her her heart. So, Josh, take it away. It's kind of like the silly songs with Larry, like just randomly. That's very similar. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, here's here's what Claire has to say. Um, my deepest apologies for being absent this episode. However, I am pre-writing my soapbox for Emily or Abigail to read in my place. Today's soapbox is, if you participate in Civil War reenactments, I will automatically assume you were on the Confederate side. Stop it. Get some help. And that's all she wrote. Probably a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad she wasn't here to share about that one. Mm. Um, I kind of want to hear about it, but I'll ask her later. Maybe another episode. Who knows? Yeah. Um, we'll take a caller next episode, and it'll be an anonymous individual who just happens to be enjoying uh, reenacting Civil War mm. um, battles. Anyways, um, yeah. so I guess I'll take it away. Um, I say we just dive in here and just start. We just, you know, put you down on the grill, Josh. I mean, get you get get things started. Um, Alrighty. <laughs> We love a good cookout. We are. Amen. Um, so, Josh, how would you describe your religious background growing up? Yeah, so I grew up in a Christian household for as long as I can remember. My parents um, were attending church uh, whenever they got married. Um, I'm not sure how long they were saved prior to that. Um, but, yeah, my religious background growing up, I always went to church. We would only miss church if we were sick. Um, so it's kind of frowned upon if you had any other reason to miss church, but, uh, yeah, religious background. I think we started off, um, with like, shoot, it would be like, we were Baptist, then we were reformed Baptist then we became Presbyterian. Then we became reformed mm, Presbyterian. Pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. So just constantly making our way up that ladder, I guess. Um, which is honestly kind of how it was looked like. It was always like, oh, I remember when we were at this stage, which wasn't as bad as when we were at this stage. Um, but we are just kind of, I don't know, like I said, just making our way downtown. Walking so. fast. <laughs> yep. I, can't even I reference finish. that song all the time. I don't actually know the lyrics to it, but that's about as much as I know. And I say it every day. Um, my question is, where did you, when you, um, the last church you attended with your family, where were you guys? I think you may have already mentioned it, but I had my headphones off. Where did you end up denominationally? Like, where were you when you left? Oh, yeah. We, it was a church plant of the Reformed Presbyterian uh, Church of North America denomination. That's a real name? It is. RPCNA. Wow. Glamorous. Yeah. So... 
as you go along, you just add another like word to the acronym and it just keeps getting longer and longer, you know, reformed, orthodox, uh, white power, uh, there it is. <laughs> Presbyterian church of the United States of the Confederacy. Confederate church of the United States of America. <laughs> All right. So, um, you have some other points under this headline. Do you want to elaborate on those or move on to the next topic? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, like I put down journey to achieving the highest tier. That's what it always kind of felt like. It's like, well, we're probably not going to be with this denomination long because we're going to get, you know, the newest OS updates going to come out and we're going to move on to the next one. Um, but I mean, there are certain, I put some notes in here for like certain themes that I'll probably end up fleshing out, uh, mm-hmm. under some of these other, uh, other things. But the, I think one thing that was consistent was it was, there was always legalism, um, and I know people like might define legalism in different ways, but um, I, it, it, we constantly were becoming more and more legalistic. Um, I would say I personally ended up like split between Presbyterian and Reformed Baptist. Um, probably, I don't know, I would say 70, 30, but maybe that's a conversation for another day. 70% Presbyterian, 30% Reformed Baptist. Um, but yeah, there was definitely this like trend of, following rules and always trying to see um, what rules we had to follow next kind of thing. And they were incorporated more and more and a couple of them changed. Um, But yeah, that was kind of the trend um, going throughout those different stages. And what was the voice of authority regarding where those rules came from? Like who told you to start enacting these different rules? Was it Um, a pastor or someone that your parents read or was it a parent I, it, it wasn't ever a pastor. Um, it might've been in books that my dad read, but they pretty much, as far as we know, it was, uh, from his understanding of what he had been reading in scripture. Uh, cause my dad was always reading his Bible and listening to sermons. Um, so it was just from what we knew, it was his understanding or his newest understanding of what scripture was saying about something. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, right. I think for that one, I think the rest of it is going to be, like I said, fleshed out and some of the other topics we might talk about. Yeah. Um, so what we have like a list of just hot like buzzwords or topics mm-hmm. that in general, just in evangelicalism um, in general, but I think they take on a whole different shape when it comes to um, if you grow up in more conservative circles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, sure. But before we hop into them, I want to hear, I guess, from you just in like one sentence or two sentences, how would you classify how you grew up? Like we would probably say we grew up conservative evangelical. Mm-hmm. So how would you like, how would you describe yourself? Um, I like growing up, I would say I grew up ultra conservative <laughs> evangelical um and definitely some cultic tendencies in there i wouldn't say it's full-on cult because no one else really agreed with us and so you know we didn't have a like facebook group for it but um we i would i that's why i say cultic tendencies because a lot of things were similar there and just some of the structure of um the that lifestyle so gotcha Emily, maybe you can educate us a little bit down the down the road about cult psychology, and oh, we should do thing. a whole podcast on cults. Honestly, I would 
thrive. Maybe that's maybe that's my moment for a little bit of a expose moment. Okay. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and hit you with some of these topics. So we'll start easy. Uh, what did your family believe about school, both K twelve and higher education? So okay. So um, <clears throat> K twelve is an interesting term because I was homeschooled, so we didn't really use that term a whole lot. Um, but, and that was kind of a joke that we always like homeschoolers make. Um, and so it's not obvious, but like I was homeschooled my whole life. And so we're all my siblings. Um, but yeah, that's just funny. I thought of that, but, um, yeah. So as far as the K through 12 education, that should be done by parents. Um, they, um, yeah, homeschooling is the only way to go. We personally did not participate in any co-ops except for like, maybe whenever I was four, I do remember, um, being in a co-op once. Uh, but apart from that, we didn't do any kind of schooling with anyone else. Um, it was always just textbooks, uh, different types of curriculum that we had from different, uh, companies and like people who would put together like homeschool resources. Um, that was all done by my mom. And then occasionally, like if it was a topic of theology, that would be taught kind of like by my dad, but it was very loosely structured. Um, but the big belief in what they were talking, so my parents were both public schooled. Um, and they both, um, did not have good experiences with that because I mean, the public school system, like there's a lot of messed up stuff that happens there, um, for sure. Uh, which doesn't mean that messed up stuff doesn't happen in other schooling forms or system, but, mm-hmm. um, because of that, they wanted to homeschool us so that way they could cater our education to, um, a biblical worldview, um, or their understanding of a biblical worldview. Um, and, um, so uh, they thought that the government should have basically no hand whatsoever um, in a child's education. Um, and there's pros or cons about that, I think, but that might be a topic for a different time. Um, but that's that's the general idea of what was taught. And I think for a lot of homeschool families, um, I guess actually this might be the time to say, like, everything that it happened here in my situation, like, every family in fundamentalism is going to look different. Um, so I'm not trying to say all these things, a blanket statement, but we do see a lot of trends, but yeah, um, yeah basically the belief that uh, government should not have any hand in education of students. And then, uh, so for higher ed, um, my, I think my mom started doing college and then she stopped. Um, I don't remember why, but I think, I think it could have been right before or right after she was married. Um, and then my dad did probably two years worth. And I think, or maybe he did a year of college and then started going to seminary. Um, but he had a little bit of experience in both, but he, I think he didn't go past his sophomore year. Um, but they, so I'm the only one of my siblings that has been to college, um, for the past, um, 12 and a half years. Um, no, but, uh, only one to, uh, to have gone there. And, um, my siblings I know will not be going to college. Um, but they didn't really put a lot of value into college degrees unless you're going to become a doctor. Um, they thought that everything else was kind of worthless to pour your, uh, time into, um, and just a lot of ideas around college and things that happen, um, in college. And a lot of it, uh, believed to be a scam which there are there's parts of it that are really frustrating it's like i don't know if this is super valid but um yeah and as far as like college goes or higher education um the only what they thought the only the only people who would be allowed to do that would be um their sons um women don't need higher education um because you don't have any use for that um when you're making tater tot casserole so <laughs> hey i made a lot of tater tots 
I mean, I for a lot of kids. Love and it's true. You do not need a college degree to do that. You That's need a true. college degree to not do that. Well, actually, I have two college degrees, and I'm still doing it, unfortunately. That's not well, good. I could be sad without tater tots. <sighs> yeah. Um, uh, that gives us a good segue into our next topic. Emily, do you want to pick this one up? Yes. Um, I don't know how to ask this, I guess. I don't know. Like, I feel like it's odd to just be like, what would your family believe about women? Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just not, odd. Yeah, that <laughs> they don't exactly. exist. They're not real. They're fake. <laughs> that is just a – it's another scam from the government, to be honest. Like the the birds aren't is. real thing. Women yeah. Aren't real. Exactly. <laughs> so what would you think? Well, I mean, that's women? the next one. <laughs> I was just, just saying, it's like the um, – <laughs> it's like the girls don't poop thing. Like, people don't think they're real. That's <laughs> true. Um, girls anyways. don't poop simply because they're not actually real. Yeah. So anyways, um, so yeah, what did my family believe about women? Well, um, so I have, um, I have two sisters, um, and the rest of us were boys, so they were kind of outnumbered there, um, but they held their own, um, or as much as they were allowed to, but, um, like I said, they're not allowed to go to college or anything because their role is seen as, um, someone who, uh, should get married to my should who should have the desire to get married and the desire to have kids, um, which are both very godly desires. Um, but it was kind of expected or thought at least that if you didn't have those desires, that you were not honoring God with your life because that's what you were, uh, created for by golly. And if you are not, um, you know, getting married and, uh, fulfilling your duties as a wife, um, which include raising your children and being a homemaker, um, and submitting to your husband, then you weren't doing it right. Um, so it, my mom did not have a job. Um, and if she had tried to get a job, that would have been, um, that would have been something that goes against what scripture, uh, supposedly taught. Um, because if you had a job, then you would be distracted from taking care of your kids while your husband is out at work. Um, and you should also be trying to have as many kids as you can, because that's how you rule and have dominion over the earth is, um, have as many kids as you can. Um, and the idea of like getting married and waiting to have kids is a very selfish one because, um, like you're just trying to delay what God wants for your life with your own selfish reasons. Um, so yeah, no, no jobs unless it, I mean, unless it was like some kind of craft thing at home and you were like selling it to other moms or something. Like if you're making like, um, what about homemade, Lulu Rowe? Homemade, well, <laughs> fascinating. You should bring that up. My parents didn't do any, uh, anything with that. You know, I, it wasn't quite as trendy whenever I was, um, when I was um, back home, but, uh, my parents were just like, yeah, that's a pyramid scheme. So we're not going to do that. So at least they were clear eyed in that. Props <laughs> to them for um, not taking um, those. But yeah, um, no jobs um, or, and not much of a, there's nothing like nothing essentially in leadership um, at all. Like the husband is the one who um, leads the voice or has a voice. Um, the yeah. wife doesn't really get a say, shouldn't get a say, especially in church. Like, if you were in Sunday school, like women are not allowed to speak up and ask questions because they should ask questions to their husband at home because their husbands will know all the answers. And if they don't, then they will ask the elders of their church. Um, but yeah. So how do you think that kind of thinking about women affected you? 
Um, I, I think initially growing up, I was like, yeah, like, I guess like women should want to be homemakers, like, um, and want to have kids. And for the longest time, like, yeah, I want to have like as many kids as God wants me to have. Um, and like, I, I still have that philosophy. I still think like I will have as many kids as the Lord sees fit to allow me to have, but I you actually will have no kids. I hate to break well, it to you, but your wife will have kids. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm not sitting out with the goal of like, I want 35 kids. Um, I will just be content with like however many kids the Lord gives, uh, me and my wife one day. But, um, there was definitely some things like, um, that I didn't really agree with. I didn't really see the harm in a woman having a job because I knew plenty of people who my family talked bad about, um, because they did those things. I knew plenty mm-hmm. of women who had jobs and their family, like their kids were taken care of and they had, yeah. um, good relationships with their parents and it was actually the moms that stayed home with their kids all the time that um were kind of going crazy um Mm. but not that that is the case for everyone again but yeah it was just so it's just interesting so i was like huh i don't really know if that adds up don't really know if i agree with that but i'm not allowed to challenge it so here we are um i definitely didn't think that um the only thing i really recognize is wrong is like i feel like my mom should be able to have a voice and speak up and say these things because it doesn't feel Right. But at the same time, that's what I was taught was biblical. And that's what I was kind of stuck with believing. And so I was like, I guess this is right. I don't like it. But who am I to question God kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very difficult to argue against verses that are cherry picked in terms yeah. of w- women in leadership, because like you have verses that out of context appear so clear. The text and- is clear. The text is clear. That appears so clear in what they seem to be directing or, um, you know, prescribing for that church. For example, you know, like you mentioned the verse where it's like women should not speak in church. They should go home if they have and ask their husbands if they have a question. And then there are verses that are literally like, I do not permit a woman to speak. Um, And I think, you know, I know we definitely grew up with that to some degree. Um, But if you take that line of thought and you, you can also apply it to, a woman should have a symbol uh, of authority on her head because of the angels. So some people wear head coverings in church. It's like, yeah, yeah. Our circles never went that far. Um, <laughs> even though the same philosophy of, of interpretation was, would be, would have to be applied. Um, I grew up all, hearing all of those verses, even though we were a little less conservative than I think how you grew up and a lot less about like, Philip's daughters who were who were prophesying and a lot less about the fact that, you know, women in the New Testament take on almost like a pivotal, a pivotal role in how the gospel is spread and how they sponsor churches. Like we just, we just hear those same three or four cherry picked verses. And as a kid, it's very difficult to sit down and be like, how do I, something's wrong with the way we're interpreting this or applying this first, but I don't understand mm-hmm. what it is. And then you just yeah, grow up yeah. in that and you kind of accept it at face value. Well, I think that kind of thinking becomes obviously like the lens through which you see and understand your experiences. So as you grow up and you actually are faced with these kind of circumstances and have to make sense of where uh, certain people or where certain genders fit into the like narrative of the world, like, you have obviously those like pretty solidified ideas about how things work based on how you're raised and how you were taught the Bible and all of those things. So that becomes kind of your default, um, which is, you know, like, should you be held responsible for that? 
like yes and no. Like that's that's where things get sticky because mm-hmm. of course you were raised that way. You don't have control over how you're raised, but then you reach a level of the age of accountability where you have to mm-hmm. take some responsibility for whether or not you keep the glasses on or whether you decide to get contacts. Like Yeah. Yeah. That's a good tangent, I think, to move in. We're trying we're gonna hit these points kind of like bam, 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 before we move into some more of like the open-ended discussion. Yeah, yeah. Um, But that's a good segue to move into. Let's get down to family um, and what your family believed about how families worked. Mm. Yeah, so um, I think still going off of the women thing and family, there's this sort of hierarchy um, that occurs in families where um, first you have God, obviously at the forefront of everything, um, or at least you say you do whatever works. Um, but you have God at the forefront. God is the head. Um, then next would be Jesus. If you're, yes. Um, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next would be, um, uh, like your, your church or your, um, pastors. And then under them are the heads of the households, which are the fathers. Um, and of course, pastors and elders are made up of heads of households and whatnot. Um, but, um, you had like the fathers who are over the house, household and you have your wife who is over your kids and then your sons who are just like a little bit maybe not over your daughters but they have a little bit more freedom at least um but again saying like women don't have any don't have any voice there it's only ever the husbands basically who are the ones that um will lead in any capacity or uh enforce not enforce but make rules um and that would, you know, go so far as like the wife should be reprimanded whenever she needs to be to encourage respect for the for the husband or Amen. for the father. Um, and um, and that should be in front of the kids, too, because if the wife were to disrespect her husband or challenge his authority or, or leadership on anything in front of the kids, like you have to address that in front of the kids and the wife has to apologize. Um, mm. And again, uh, I might probably say this a million times. This is not every single family who grew up super conservative or group like like fundamentalist um but this is some a big trend that i've seen um, and it stems from that same closely held fundamentalist view that women are in some way even if they're not physically or biologically or materially inferior to men in terms of leadership they are inferior to men because there's a hierarchy like that is right. a generally held belief by people in those circles even if it's even if right. like you said they're not going to reprimand their wife in front of kids so Right. And that is, quote, biblical. So um, and the same thing with the with the daughters, too, like daughters are under the father's household. You mentioned head coverings earlier. Um, Not every family I knew growing up made their wife and daughter um, wear head coverings. My family did um, just because they thought that's what was biblical um, until at least it made them uncomfortable when we went to a church where no one else did that. And so we're like, well, we believe this, but we're not just going to we're just not going to cause any arguments. Mm. which was really a first, but, um, mm. <laughs> so yeah, that's how family works. Um, in terms of like family structure, um, I might've hit on it before, but like you get married, like you better start popping out kids or adopting or do something. Um, cause if there's not a honeymoon baby, then you're not doing it right. Um, and like family should be your like end goal family for the purpose of honoring God. And if you're not working towards that, then you should not be working towards anything else. Um, but yeah, uh children should respect their parents should honor their parents is what the bible says 
Um, and that goes to the, ex- the extent of like anything that the, fa- that the um, father who is the leader, because he's the one who says what is done, anything that the father says, like you have to do. Um, and you can't challenge or hold ac- accountable anything. Um, like this is a leader who God has put in place and you can't challenge or hold them accountable, basically, unless it was something that was like blatantly obvious that like that was wrong, which like that would never happen. Um, and so anytime that even like if um, me and my siblings would have disagreed with something that uh, my father said, or even if my mom disagreed, we were not allowed to challenge that like at all. Cause that was wrong. Like you cannot challenge leadership. Um, and so like we would even go to our mom and be like, Hey, like, why is, how is this okay? And she'd say, you know, you can't like, you can't do that. You can't disrespect your father like that. You can't challenge him. He's the leader. He's the one that God has put in charge. Um, and so, yeah, so no, no challenging of authority there. Um, in regards to challenging, like, particularly like, like the fail, the fail, the male husband figure, <clears throat> even if like, if, if that person is like leading the family into sin, like, would your family still have been like, yeah, you still need to like submit to like that them because they're an authority figure? Um, that's a, re- it's honestly a really great area because we would ask questions like that eventually, like during times of like family worship, we'd be like, mm-hmm. what happens if you get married? Like, what does a wife do? Cause we would talk about like people who get divorced and like divorce is a, is like a, a sin if you do it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, cause my mom was divorced and mm-hmm. for really good reasons. Um, and like divorce was really like down upon, but like with the right reasons, like it was okay. Um, but that was something like you want to avoid at all costs. And like, obviously I think that's true too. Like divorce is like a really painful thing. Right. Um, but your mom divorced her first husband to clarify, not your dad. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. Uh, first husband. Um, yeah, basically the only way you could do that was to bring it up to the elders, but it was really gray on to how that would happen because you really shouldn't be going to talk to the elders about your husband behind the Yeah. Like you had to be really... Because you couldn't ask them questions, like you couldn't ask them a, a theological question, because that has right. to do with your husband. Right. Um, it's like, okay, so when does that like line of like, is this right? Is this wrong? Like, yeah. How do you? How is the wife supposed to go about that? Because it's so gray. So. Oh, that's so true. I, I the reason I asked is because, like, is that like natural deferral to the husband slash father's leadership? Is that because there is this assumption that they're always right? Or is it just like they should always kind of have the best interest of the family in mind? So based on the nature of the virtue of the role of husband, father, Mm -hmm. that's why you always defer. Like, which is it? Is it a mix of both? And then, like you said, like when that when neither are true when they're not right and they're they don't have the best interest of the family at heart and they are leading the family into sin what what like route of like escape does the wife or the family have because like you said you can't tell the church about it because you like even that is like kind of skirting the leadership that's already in place like yeah it's just a trap I think I think it's a combination of things um, that what we were told, at least, is like the Bible says that you are to respect 
the people who are in authority over you, whom God has placed in authority over you. And so even if they're doing something that, what, that is wrong, God will hold them accountable. Mm. Um, mm. And so they're the ones that have that responsibility. And so you just have to honor God by, and which doesn't make sense because they're leading you into sin. Yeah. Um, and are you also not told to stand up for um, your faith and stand up to sin? Um so yeah, that uh, again, just another like convoluted area is like, well, mm, what yeah. exactly is the thing that we're supposed to be doing here? Um, so yeah, makes sense. a combination of that. And like you said, like the leaders are supposed to have the best interest in place. Um, but there's, there's this like idea that like, if you do, and that's where like, I think like legalism even is like this, um, uh, I think it was Nathan that was talking about like legalism can, is almost like a, a works righteousness because you're basically saying, or, or not works, I mean, it is works righteousness. It's almost like a prosperity gospel. Yeah, um, yeah. You're basically saying if you do all the right things, it's all going to be okay. It's all going right. to go according to plan. You're going to have this great um, life and this great spiritual walk if you're doing all the right things. Um, and so that's the idea that was there. It's like, well, you just have to do the right thing and God will take care of the rest. Yeah. Um, and everything will go according to plan and you're not going to run into any kind of uh, problems. But that's just not true. Hmm. Mm. I find it. I think that that worldview is interesting because it so often makes these like it so often holds very closely the idea of total depravity and, you know, original sin and all of those things. But then seems to seems to operate under the assumption that male headship is immune from total depravity and uh, the sin of the father. It's like, uh, he'll, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Yeah. Well, he's not the first one that sinned. Eve is obviously. So if uh, anyone's going to uh, lead the family uh, into sin, it's going to be her. That's true. Yeah. So that's why I have to watch out for it. Eve, the original McRib. <laughs> Can't stand her. Um. <laughs> Let's move on to, let's see if we can knock out church and then we'll move on to the cultural issues. So your family and you already mentioned kind of what denomination they, denominations they hopped around to. Um, But you have some interesting points on here, aesthetics and buildings, different days you didn't (laughs) celebrate, money and Sabbath. So can you elaborate on those? So, well, let's just hit on Sabbath real quick. Um, So, you know, you, you work... Um, six days a week. Um, should you rest on Saturday? Well, that's often yes. Um, <laughs> uh, should you rest on Saturday? Who knows um, whether that's sinful or not? Because we follow everything else to a T. But mm, anyways, um, so Sabbath though <laughs> is the day of rest. Um, it's the day that you go to church and you do not miss it for anything. Um, it doesn't matter if you wake up late. It doesn't like if you're sick, then and you're contagious, then yeah, don't go to church. Otherwise, you have no excuse not to be there, and you should frown on people who don't make it to church every single Sunday. But again, another mm, conversation. Um, but we also did not do anything that exerted any kind of physical labor. Um, it wasn't to the extent of like back in the pilgrim days when you'd get in trouble for making your bed on Sunday, um, but it was a close. I don't know. The, the margins were very similar. Um, because you could not, you were not allowed to run outside. You couldn't play. Um, my family went back and forth on how, how long or like the, the margins for the, the, like the time for the Sabbath. Like, was it 24 hours, like from midnight to midnight or was it sunset to sunset? And so we alternated, um, at different times. Um, it was like, well, we can't order pizza tonight because 
we have to or we have to wait till after sunset to order pizza because that would make people work on the Sabbath. Um, you can't go. Oh, shopping. so you didn't you didn't want to lead other people into sin even if they weren't believers? Okay. Right. Um, and so you would not do any shopping. You don't buy gas on Sunday. Um, and uh, unless it's like an emergency situation, like if you're traveling, like then it was okay because if your you ox has really... fallen to a ditch and you need to gas yeah, it up, yeah, then yeah, the, the it's, it's, the, it's literally the same application. <laughs> yeah. So, There's no difference. Uh, no, yeah. So all of our <laughs> exegesis is the text was clear. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Obviously. Um, yeah. So, and I think I do remember one Sunday and we felt very guilty afterwards. We were, because we grew up with a pool for the most part. Um, and mm-hmm. we, there was one Sunday where we were allowed to go out in the pool, but we had to stand in it. We were not allowed to, we could like walk around, but we weren't allowed to like go under the water, like very fast. Like basically like if you started <laughs> sweating, this is like you started sweating, then you just needed to get used to it because where you're going, <laughs> you're going to be doing a lot of that. This is like right. Sabbath, Sabbath evangelical soaking. Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, Maybe not quite. Literally. Am I wrong? It's close. No, yes. No, yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so that was the idea around Sabbath is that like you go to church and you should spend you should spend all day with God's people, which I'm not like, actually, I'm a little against that because like you need to rest as well. I was going to say, um, you need but, to be honest here, buddy. If you say that we should spend all day with God's people, we are going to have words when this is over. Um, so I think uh, uh, what we were used to is like you go to church, you have a fellowship meal, then you have a, another sermon right after. Um, so that way you're spending like a good portion of your day because like God gives you the rest of the day, the week to have fun. Um, like you should do, and like, again, like I'm not in total disagreement with some of this, but like you should want to honor God by spending as much time as you can with him. Um, but the idea of Sabbath, like basically was just doing anything. We didn't really have a good, a good idea of what rest actually meant. Like the the biblical Mm -hmm. rest that God talks about. It was basically like, if you are reading the Bible or if you are, communing with other believers, then that is what the Sabbath is about. Um, and there's no rest for, there's not really any rest for your soul because the only rest for your soul that you need is reading the Bible. Um, yeah. So that's Sabbath. Um, our family personally didn't celebrate. And again, this, I think might be just where we were specific, but there were some other families I know, like they don't celebrate Christmas or birthdays because that celebrates the person. Um, and we shouldn't celebrate ourselves. And then Christmas is who knows whether that's biblical um we didn't celebrate easter because why would you celebrate that when you can celebrate god's resurrection every sunday um so and that was the only argument honestly and we're like okay but we still want candy um but we also were never really taught much about the resurrection of christ and like the importance Mm -hmm. of that and so like everyone it seemed to be always enamored with that holiday and we're like we celebrate the resurrection of God every single day of our lives, but we didn't really even know what that meant. So I'm not sure what happened there, but Veterans Day. Um, <laughs> we want oh, the yes. resurrection right to Veterans Day. I have been waiting for this. They're, on, they're, on, they're on an equal level. I don't know about you. We're, we're, we're actually coming up on Veterans Day. So happy Veterans Day to everyone and our November audience 11, who celebrates. <laughs> Um, I'll be, I'll be celebrating privately as usual. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be standing in the pool, not swimming in it. <laughs> in honor of those who have fallen and those who have no, um, been crucified Day. and resurrected. That's actually when we celebrate Easter. Um, but um, yeah, Veterans Day, again, it just honors the person. Um, and so, and I'm not saying like, ah, like, 
oh gosh, I was so fundamentalist. Like we didn't celebrate Veterans Day. Like, <laughs> like I, like Veterans Day is just a normal thing where we're honoring like people who have um, who have served in our country. Um, and but that was something so like why would we I, celebrate? I'm that? guessing you didn't celebrate or recognize. I guess no one celebrates, but you didn't recognize MLK Day or no because MLK was a horrible person. Don't you right. know that? Yeah, and then President's Day, probably a no. What about like Fourth no. of July? Um, Are you allowed really to celebrate celebra- a country, or can we only uh, celebrate God? We did not celebrate the country, but we definitely set off a few fireworks. But for the most part, our neighbors like had mad money, and so they always had like super big firework shows, and so we're like, oh, this is cool. But cool. we didn't celebrate it. And again, I'm not. What saying about anniversaries? Christian, what about like your parents' anniversary? They celebrated their anniversary because marriage is a depiction of Christ in the church. And that's what you're striving towards. That's what you're actually celebrating. And we celebrated birthdays too. You did celebrate birthdays. Okay. You just knew some people who did. We knew a lot of families who were like, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. So um, aesthetics and church buildings. Yeah. I put this down because uh, my family was always concerned. We went to a church. Um, because we're like what do they i don't know we were honestly just always looking for ways to pick things apart um i'm personally really good at that um but always just judging like they have curtains they have this they have that why are they concerned with that like this is the house of god you shouldn't be concerned with what color this is and like why are they talking about what color carpet they're gonna you know replace all the moldy carpet with like just put in carpet it just needs to function um and like they would want to take care of the the um like the property and like the things that God has given to you, but like you should not be concerned with that at all. Like um and so I don't know, that's more of just a little side note that I put in there. Like we were just always looking for ways to pick things apart. Didn't but we you? also wanted to let people know that we were better than them because that's not what we were thinking about. And we're like, Oh, I just think, you know, that that's not important. I'm just trying to worship God to the best of my ability and not be concerned with all these material things. I think you told me, or you told me at one point that your sisters weren't allowed to wear makeup. Uh, yeah, they weren't allowed to wear makeup because. And then your dad, like, I know you buzzed your hair for the longest time. So it seems like that philosophy kind of extended to people as well. <laughs> like function yeah, over. We very, yeah. No, my dad had a tattoo, but that was from his past life um, as a non-believer. Um, okay. And, but yeah, my mom had her ears pierced. I, she didn't wear earrings that I can recall. She may have once or twice, but my dad didn't like it because he and my sisters, I mean, he eventually let them, but that was, um, like my, maybe my last year of high school. Um, my sisters, no, it was after I was in college, my sisters got their ears pierced. Um, but I remember him taking them to surprise them that he was finally letting them get, get going to get like their ears pierced. And, um, I remember my sisters like being traumatized, um, like traumatized, word. not traumatized. <laughs> yeah. Remember whenever I said I was homeschooled, this is the education. I said that and I was like, oh, that doesn't feel right. Um, I don't know. That might be the episode title. Who knows? Traumatized, traumatized with Josh G. Trauma, traumafication. Um, traumatized. Um, Either that or evangelical, like, pool soaking. We're going to go with one more. Hey. We're we're just going to create a vocabulary list, and we're going to recap at the end. Um, But they were traumatized because they're like, 
this is something that we have been taught is sinful our whole lives. Like, why oh, would we wow. want to do this now? And now yeah. we're just expecting us to do it. And so Gosh. it really oh, So they didn't even get a choice. They were just like, okay. Well, he did. I mean, it was like, it was like a day. surprise. Yeah. And but yeah. that was like so strange because it was, it went against everything. Yeah. We were taught, um, but yeah, not allowed That's to wear crazy. makeup or like a bunch of flashy jewelry. The dress, the clothing had to be very, very modest um, because we're not trying to be prostitutes. Um, and there wasn't really, wasn't really a dress code for the guys, except they had buzz cuts because men shouldn't have long hair. Um, for the, for our viewers or listeners, Josh has hair down to his shoulders. Yeah. I don't know how that happened. Um, Whoops. but yeah, no tattoos, anything like that. Um, he also has a massive always- neck tattoo. Yeah, I'm getting my teardrop tattoo um, right below my eye um, tomorrow. That's crazy. On a Sunday. After he gets his ears um, pierced, it clears. Yeah. yeah. That's, no, that's where my dad <laughs> took my sisters. And even then, I was like, I'm pretty sure I've seen a lot of memes about this, but we're going to just <laughs> – I feel like we should avoid Claire's. Um, but, yeah, we were just very judgmental about the people who had those things, did those things, wore those things, wore those things. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. Did not do those. Um, so let's try and hit the last. There's like four more points, but I feel like we can wrap them up pretty quickly. Um, yeah. your, so thoughts on America and patriotism or nationalism, uh, science, the end times, and then dating and marriage. Let's just say dating because I think we covered marriage. Yeah. So and by dating, I hope you mean courtship because. I'm oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Courtship. And uh, then attend the Civil War reenact. <laughs> Get married. First person That's you've ever you first person you've ever frontal hugged, basically. Yeah. Woo! Spicy. Sex is cool, but have Sorry, you ever I'll tried sens- a good Christian hug, side hug? <laughs> um yeah, so we'll start with American patriotism slash nationalism. Um uh my dad was uh ex military. He was in the Navy, but we didn't really like I said, we didn't really celebrate like the US's holidays because we thought the country was depraved enough, like we didn't really wanna um, seem like we were supporting them because we were not supposed to be of mm-hmm. this world. Um, so no really support there because they're all kind of going to hell. Um, love the Constitution, though. Um, great read. Book is way better than the movies. Um, but yeah, just don't really support ah. the country. <laughs> just hold just hold to the Constitution. Um, so yeah. Okay. Only really only become political when it benefits you. Only whenever the conversation is like, well, this is what the Constitution says. Which, like, I agree. Like, I think our Constitution, um, like, I think it should be valued. But it was just kind of only whenever it counted to talk about it. So there were we were definitely not patriotic, um, except whenever we were talking about like terrorists, um, <laughs> like people who were actually people who were actually terrorists, or whenever we were talked about. Um, quote immigration issues or refugees um, which I feel like we went back and forth on because my dad's company employed a lot of uh, people who were from Guatemala and Honduras um, and Mexico and so we like we were friends with them and we may have still had some prejudiced ideas but we thought that like they should be as long as they were following the rules we're like no they should have a chance here in America if they want to and so we always thought it was sad that like families were like broken up and like people had to be deported um because it broke up families and like that like that's a sad that's just a sad yeah. thing and so 
not really like typical conservative, like close the borders like ASAP as possible. Um, do you think they, to- do you think they would be that way now? Because it, I feel like that rhetoric has increased on the right, on the far right since um, big orange went into office. Yeah. So big do, orange. Oh. do you think maybe they've changed their tune a little bit or do you, did you find that they were consistent no matter what the political trends were? Cause they seem to be think, very selective in what they hear. Yeah. I think they're rel- relatively consistent there. Um, unless like maybe a couple times talking about how, num- yeah, no, a couple times just talking about how like, Oh, well this is what happens if it's not regulated at least, or like you have yeah. these people who are, these people who are coming over here and then can just do whatever they want. Um, and my grandmother who lived with us was definitely, um, at least from what I can tell, what I can see now, very, um, very big su- uh, supporter of like closing the borders, very big Trump supporters. Um, and my family did not like Trump at first, but they kind of kept going back and forth, but now they're really big fans of him. Um, so yeah, I think they're pretty consistent there. Cool. Uh, science. Uh, science. We were, whenever I think science, I just instantly think of vaccines. My family was, uh, I don't know if that's what you mean by that, but they were anti-vax. Um, and not necessarily because they thought it was the government trying to control us or that it was like all these harmful things. I think maybe a few of them they thought were harmful, but me and my older sister were vaccinated as babies. Um, but they didn't really vaccinate. Um, after the first three kids, actually the, my brother younger than me might've been vaccinated, but us first three were born in the hospital and the rest of them were home births. And so they didn't really, they just didn't think it was necessary really. Um, and they weren't like incredibly outspoken about it. Um, anytime it came up, they're just like, well, like none of you kids have like, we're vaccinated all the way. So you turned like, out fine, <laughs> even though yeah. we didn't let you leave the house or have friends. Like you didn't catch any communicable diseases. <laughs> no, no, except for those many times that we did. But um, yeah, my dad was an EMT for a short time, so he knew he had like a decent knowledge of, um, I think, like medical terminology. And in general, like we we had a lot of different types of medicine in the cabinet. We had several family members who worked in the medical field. And so we kind of I feel like we knew a lot. Um, and so we obviously hospitals are expensive and my family was very, Ugh. very poor growing up. And so we avoided the hospital at all costs, as people normally do. Um and so we never, never did checkups, never went to the doctor, but again, mainly just because like, it's very costly and we were just able to make it without it. Um, and we never had, except for a couple times that we went to the emergency room for accidents to happen. We were really pretty fortunate that nothing serious ever happened. Um, so yeah, um, we did a lot of home remedy stuff. Um, we, I, th- I think in that regard, I think they were relatively, I think it was pretty normal. We would kind of make fun of some people for having home remedies, but our home remedies were okay, which again, is not like a sin. It's just kind of a quirky thing, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, in times, in times, um, my family, um, at least for the longest time, definitely thought that didn't, we don't, didn't believe in the rapture. Um, which oh, I still didn't. don't No, did not believe in the rapture. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Um, they um, occasionally talked about, you know, you have amillennialism, postmillennialism, um, and just different end times conversations. I do remember going through a series one time about, like, why the rapture is a farce, um, because everything that was um, 
like that's laid out in Revelation is talking about what happened in Jerusalem in 70 AD. So that was something that like, I was like, oh, I don't really like disagree with this at all. Um, and so basically just believe that, you know, Christ is going to reign victorious, that the earth is going to, um, or that the world is going to like Christianity will slowly take over the world. Um, and that's, I mean, kind of the position I hold now is that Christ is going to reign victorious. Um, my dad, uh, I think, uh, one thing that he would say too is like, Christ is powerful or God is powerful. And it would be, um, pretty, uh, pretty beta of him to have sin take over the world and to not have the gospel Especially, um, you know, didn't really know what the gospel was. Uh, if everybody had ten kids each, and they all grew up to be <laughs> Christmas exactly. Victor types. There you go. Like, there's your army. Multiplication. Um, um, and speaking of dating, mm-hmm. well, maybe not because you don't want to have children when you're dating. But I think the hard thing uh, talking about dating and marriage, courtship, is like all those terms are kind of just thrown around nowadays, and nobody knows what they mean. Um, or what people's intentions are with those. But yeah, we would not use the term dating because that's a worldly term and the implications there are just too evil to align yourself with. So you have to call it courtship, which whenever I think of courtship, like I raise chickens and chickens do like courtship dances. Um, and so and so do like birds <laughs> in the wild. So why we chose that is- Before they rape the hens. Yeah, um, their harem. Um, but that's biblical leadership. So um, yeah, so courtship- um, that's just what it was called um, by that community. And it's this idea that um, uh, you're not responsible enough to find somebody to marry on your own. You have to have the family as involved with it as possible. Um, so mm-hmm. the family is eventually be- becomes closer to them than you are. And in a sense, like, like that's the screening process is putting them through your family first. So, um we, we do that be able, well i mean not yeah. in the same way the brown family not, does that but it's different yeah <laughs> a little different yeah Everybody nathan definitely screen. got screened no i know um it would have looked like if you were interested in somebody you would never talk to that person first you have to talk to your parents so that way your dad can then go talk with the other dad of that person whether it was the guy or the girl and then be like hey um billy joe mcguffrey thinks that uh <laughs> Anna Lynn is, um, you know, attractive or whatever. I don't know. Or not attractive. They wouldn't say that. They'd be like, well, they want to get to know your daughter um, with the intention of marrying. Um, with the intention like, of marriage and population in mind. Yes. <laughs> we would like to um, invite you over for tater tot casserole. <laughs> please RSVP at your earliest convenience. Um, but, yeah, so that's what that would look like. And if the dad approved it. Um, then they could get to know each other through participating in activities that were monitored. Like the dad could go out on a date with them or both dads could go out on a date with them. Um, cause they were not allowed to be alone cause if they were alone for even a second. Um, the first thing that they would do is to, um, fornicate basically. And so <laughs> <Amen. laughs> for all of our viewers, um, listeners, uh, but yeah, like if they were literally, if they were alone for a second, anything could happen and anything Stay would happen because, the door. yeah. And so, um, you had to prevent that from happening at all costs. And so 
you could not let them hold hands because hold if they held hands that would lead to premarital sex um if they Naturally. hugged at all um they basically can't touch like <laughs> the whole social distancing thing that everyone's doing like covid i'm like yeah i've been doing that for a while now so ahead of the game um so that's basically what, it, what it's like uh and you couldn't be in contact um again this varies from family to family you could not text that person like uh i remember my sister texting a guy one time that she so this kind of goes against some things my sister had gotten a job at chick-fil-a um which my parents were not happy about because they really wanted her to make the right choice and not do that but then they let her um and so they eventually made her leave because she met a guy there and they both started texting they exchanged numbers and it was very harmless texting but she had hidden it from them i mean at this this point she's 18 19 maybe even older maybe 20 um and yeah so that was a that was a no-no um but um yeah that would not not have been allowed um so yeah you have to get to know the person um because your family is the most important um the most important thing in your life second to god and so um you got to get to know them and make sure that they approve, make sure they're a godly person, but basically just make sure the dad approves. And if whatever the dad says goes, if the dad doesn't approve, the daughter does not get to, um, daughter doesn't get to have a say. So it's a little less, um, at least on like if the, the daughter's dad has to have the say. So there, um, the dad doesn't have quite as much control over his son. Um, but he definitely has control over his daughter. Mm. If that makes sense at all. Okay. I might uh, need to go back in time and fix some stuff. Just to yeah, be, just to be clear, that. Josh has left, is no longer in this school of thought or thoughts. I don't know if we made that very clear at the beginning, but yeah, um, yeah that is, this is all talking in the past tense for him specifically. Um, yeah, that's, that's a lot. Thank you for your transparency and your thoroughness. Um, I think there are definitely things that me and Emily and Claire, if she was here, could relate to uh, in that. And then there are definitely things we could not relate to. Um, and I think, and Emily, maybe correct me if I'm wrong. I think the difference here is there seems to be, um, in Josh's experience, there's a lot of... Um, maybe isolation in the way they made decisions versus how we grew up. We grew up on, we believed what we were taught. And by we, I, I also mean our parents, like they consumed things from pastors and preachers and writers and scholars. And that was what dictated their decisions. And so when, when that changed, um, that changed how we grew up where it sounds like with Josh, when your dad changed his mind, <laughs> that's what changed. Yeah. Because your dad was the lens through which scripture and everything else was interpreted. Um, I don't know if I'm off the mark with that or not, but no, I think you are. And it's interesting to note too, like they have changed their views over the past few years, like have drastically changed positions on some things, not necessarily things that I've talked about. Um, but they like have completely flipped what they had been teaching their entire life. Um, or teaching me and my siblings their entire life. So different views on different things. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that might, that isolation might be what contributed to that cult-like experience that you felt you had. Um, Can I ask a question? 
Do you ever feel like um, you kind of had like almost like whiplash from how your family seemed like they kind of would kind of go back and forth on things? Um, Like you guys would do one thing a certain way for a certain period of time and then you would do it differently and then you might go back or whatever. Like the example of like your sisters were raised that like they couldn't pierce their ears and then all of a sudden your dad is like, surprise you can get your ears pierced and they're like okay well you've literally like indoctrinated that out of us so like how do we like that's confusing so do you ever feel like you kind of had like whiplash from this constant like back and forth um i i don't think so i can i can see what you mean by that though i think in one sense yes but the times that um the times that he like kind of eased up on stuff I was honestly really glad about it. And I was like, this is like, like finally, like our family might be happy about something because, Mm -hmm. um, and something to talk later on about is like happiness, um, what that looked like in our family. What, um, so yeah, I, I think I was very like relieved, but for some of my siblings, um, the inconsistency was really frustrating for them. Um, but for me, I, I don't know. I just knew enough not to challenge, any of it and i would Mm kind of keep those thoughts to myself or even just not think about them um but i was just very i think i think i was just very happy anytime something did change for the better um and there was only a couple times where it kept going back and forth i was like okay y'all just need to make up your mind about this um and those i think those parts were frustrating but in general i don't think it it affected me quite as much as it might have uh, a few of my siblings that's fair So obviously your views have changed considerably um, from what you just described us. Um, What kind of sparked that process for you and what were your waking up moments or the moments where you were like, Oh, this is maybe not what I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So uh, I think it's helpful to know that the, there's kind of an overarching theme um, first that I grew up with. Um, and that's how you view God because God should, God's the most important thing and God is the most important thing in my life. Um, but how I viewed God, I think plays into what changed or when it started changing. Um, but we were essentially always taught that God does not love us, that he only loves himself in us. Mm, um, there it is. There it is. Um, There's common ground right there. <laughs> uh, and it's this idea that we're doing all these things even though we would we would say like oh like we're not legalistic we would never want to be legalistic um, you know we would never want to do something for works righteousness um, they're all things that were kind of implicitly like believed just because or implicitly lived out because um, it's hard to have all these um, views I think and not have it be something that was works righteousness which is kind of what it was like we were trying to do the right thing because we knew that God was angry with us and we were just trying to appease him and so that's basically how we lived our lives and um, just trying to always um, make things right with God um, which is not how the gospel works as I found out Um, even though we would say like yes like um, like we don't do these things because we're scared of God's wrath we do them because we love him but there was never this idea that, oh, but God doesn't love us. We have to do this because we love him. But it's like you're you're tricking yourself into thinking, yes, I love God. I'll do anything you say. Um, just don't be mad at me mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, so that's that's what I – that's what my family knew like our entire lives. Um, but what changed, I think, was um, 
for one thing, I started reading scripture more. Um, my family had always like, for the longest time, at least done like this read through the Bible in a year thing, um, which is really beneficial for us. Um, and I think we did that for like seven or eight years. Um, and most of it as a family, but I just, I started reading the Bible more and I started to notice like throughout high school, um, I was like, I don't really think this is what the Bible is teaching. Like, why are there these verses that talk about God's love for us and how God is good and how he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep? Um, and that's, it's contradictory to what I have been taught my entire life. And so I was like, well, this is interesting. And then there were um, different things that would come up, different topics that we've discussed today. I'd be like, well, I just, I don't know if that's biblical, but I wouldn't say anything about it because you weren't allowed to, that's tremendously disrespectful. Um, there was, I think the biggest um, turning point happened though, after my first semester of college, um, we had been in uh, we had been in this church, um, the Reformed Presbyterian Church, um, and not everyone at that church believed everything that my parents did, but there was a lot of commonality. Um, but I can remember being very unhappy there. I'm like, I don't believe what these people are preaching and teaching. Um, I say these people like the pastors that we would bring in because we didn't have an official one. Um, I don't believe. I don't agree with what my dad says. And occasionally, I would bring it up, and that would cause uh, problems every now and then because I was again challenging his authority and he's the one that God set in place and whatever. Um, but I went to um, I went to a conference um, during the summer. It's like a worldview conference thing, um, and Emily went to the same one. But uh, but it was that was like the first time. It's like all these like Christian kids who were anywhere from like for the most part, I think it was like juniors in high school. It's like maybe first year college kids, maybe a little bit younger, but really not much older. Um, they might be first year college kids. I had just finished my first semester of college, um, kind of started uh, on a weird, uh, weird semester. But um, that was the first time that I think I heard the gospel accurately preached, mm. like the gospel, like the, that the gospel is God's good news of salvation for um, people who are broken and sinful and in need of healing. Um, people who cannot save themselves, no matter what they do, no matter what good things they do, um, nothing they do can atone for them, uh, can atone for themselves. Um, and that's why we had to have Christ come and live the perfect life um, here on earth and um, die in our place and uh, rise again. Like that's like, you know, the gospel. That's like what a lot of people grew up and they're like, yeah, that's kind of cliche like yeah of course we know that but for me like i had never i had maybe read that maybe kind of been told that but i never put any stock into it and for the first time like i heard that um what to a lot of people was just like a basic fundamental truth but for me that was world changing to like sit and think about that like yeah is this actually true like um and i feel like that's such a common theme that comes out of very fundamentalist circles is we didn't, I didn't hear the gospel until I was older. Yeah. yeah. Like I was saturated in the idea of like a God who was all powerful and wrathful in my life was to be yeah. lived, to appease him. Um, not understanding that the final appeasement had already mm. been made. Right. Um, and so, and that's when they started, they talked about grace and God's grace for us. And I always, always thought that grace was grace allowed you to make up your mm. mistakes instead of grace being something that covered your mistakes and like you cannot make up your mistakes, like yeah. nothing you do, like 
there's a difference between honoring your God, turning your life over to the Lord and pursuing him with your life between that and I'm having to keep up with all these rules and regulations to try and appease God um, in addition to um, what he, what his work on the cross or his death on the cross has done for me. Um, And so that's where I heard that. And I also like saw and met Christians for the first time who were happy. Um, Like my family was absolutely miserable growing up. Like we were doing all the right things, you know, that we were told like, these are the, these are the right things is what scripture says. And we were absolutely miserable hated every second of our lives and we would try and you know fake it um but it was just something that we were never happy i remember riding to church and we would be talking about it talking about our church and talking about people and other christians um and i just remember thinking like i hate this like this cannot be the way that it's supposed to be and then whenever i went to this conference and i met people who like were serving God, but were actually like happy. Um, and I didn't think like, Oh, these people are going off the rails and that's why they're happy. But like, they seemed, um, I don't know. They, they cared. You could tell that they cared about God and wanted to follow him with their lives. And they had so much joy in doing it. It wasn't a burden because they weren't afraid that God was wrathful, that if somehow then the very next second they messed up, that God was, you know, there waiting to bring his wrath Mm -hmm. down on him. But, they were people who lived like the gospel was real. They lived like their sins had been atoned for and that that was something that changed them. And like, not that they, you know, didn't sin from, from uh, that point um, or that they could just do whatever they wanted, but it changed them. It changed who they were um, and it changed their mindset. And that was something that was so fascinating mm-hmm. to me. And that was like the, one of the first times that I was like, it was also the first time that I made friends, like, cause I wasn't super close with anybody at my church at the time, mainly cause I hated it. And so I just tried to, I just kind of withdrew. Um, and so that was like the first time I started meeting people. I started being social. Um, and, but yeah, I, I remember thinking like, wow, these people are happy. Somehow they're happy being Christians and I want that. Mm-hmm. And I met people who like, poured into me um and like obviously like the speakers too i think had really good things to say um but it was just it was a very formative time in my life um and i remember leaving there thinking like my life is about to change wow um and i didn't really know all what that meant but i knew that some things were going to change because i knew that i was becoming a different Mm. person like just after that um and so I think that was like the the pivotal moment was like hearing the gospel for the first time. And that led into a lot more of like me reading more scripture and doing some independent study. Um, and it led into some more heated dinner conversations or family worship conversations where I'd be like, I don't think this is, uh, I don't think this is right. I think this is, uh, incorrect. Um, so yeah. Hmm. Wow. That's powerful. That is, I mean, I've known you for a long time, but it's, and I've heard you talk about this, but to just have, I guess, you know, talk about this for an hour and, and hear so much and be reminded of so much of what your growing up was like. And then to hear like truly what, like what a turn an experience like that was for you. And honestly, like how, like, 
I feel like for so many people that grew up the way that you did, they go through just like this massive season of deconstruction. And like, it is so cool to hear your story and hear how instead of like running as far away as you could from religion and God, like you pressed in so much deeper into that. And you were like, what else could really be here? Um, what could the gospel really mean for my life? And is being a Christian just like a sentence of misery or could it be something more? So it's really cool to hear you share how like you did what I think in a lot of ways is the harder thing, which is to press into the complexity and the difficulty of your faith and your experience with religion and see what else can be there for you. So, and I think it's a great testament to the power of the gospel as well, that it wasn't you studying scripture on your own necessarily without inspiration. It wasn't, um, acquiring new silos of knowledge in terms of all of these different like theological viewpoints. It wasn't you doing these or checking these boxes or learning these things. It was simply the truth of Christ lived a perfect life. He died for us. He was resurrected and he loves us and wants to bring us into eternal life with him. Like, and you were able to experience right. that through people that were living right, yeah. like, like, their lives were motivated by the truth of the gospel, the full truth of the gospel, which includes like all the things you mentioned, like grace and like the fact that God loves us. And so you were not just like learning the gospel, you were experiencing it through the people that you were interacting with. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think um, God, obviously um, I think he's sovereign and he saw that I had, a lot of really wise people and godly people in my life through that time. I think it was good that I had that kind of first semester of college before going into that, because that's where I made friends. Um, and I, friends who, you know, believed, I'd say the accurate version of the gospel. Um, and those are people that I talked to about. It. I te- I would text them like that. So I'm like, Hey, I just did this conference. Like, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on this? And they're like, yeah, that's so true. Like, that's so good. Um, and people like just, I was, fortunate enough to be surrounded by people who like um we talked about like who were already living that lifestyle and like pursuing christ wholeheartedly and um those are people that god used to strengthen my faith whenever um later on um that my foundation was kind of pulled out from underneath me Mm -hmm. so yeah dang i think it's a good tangent into um how is how has growing up in fundamentalism, how did it impact your relationship with faith communities? Yeah. Yeah. Throughout the course of uh, everything that happened, um, there was this weird kind of handoff that happened and there. It was like, really, it was obviously very unsteady because you can't just be like, Oh, this is what's right. I'm going to just believe this and we're good. Um, you have to, you, you wrestle with it. Um, you wrestle with um, feelings of guilt because you're going against everything that you've ever known as truth. Um, and so I never, I never really felt the need to leave my faith because I definitely, um, I, like I was surrounded by those people. And I think that um, was uh, super instrumental in uh, my faith being deep and just being surrounded by Christian community, um, which I'd also never experienced before. I'd never really experienced a good Christian church community. Mm-hmm. Um within any church that I had been in. Um, but I, I mean, I definitely had a lot of questions. Um, I had it with some things I wanted to throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
um, and just kind of ditch it all. And like you mentioned the term, uh, like deconstruct, um, I definitely, I mean, there were a few moments where I'm like, am I doing any of this right? Mm -hmm. But I had enough, I had just, I was still holding on to just enough guilt, um, and fear that the whole handoff process that happened, um, I don't know. Eventually I kind of made the jump, but I was stretched in between those two points, uh, for a while. And for whatever reason that kept me, um, together. but I mean, obviously, obviously it was God's hand yeah. through it that kept me, um, kept me seeking after him, but there was still, um, questions that I had and frustrations and just things that I worried about through it. I don't know if that really answers that question. I think it does. It sounds like the way you describe it, it was like you were, you had, I feel like you're the type of person who looks for security. I mean, we, we all are, but like you, because of your background, especially yeah. you look for security in communities that you're in and. Which is why I've been in college for five years too. But. Well, there's other reasons for that, but because <laughs> college um, is a scam. But God, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, God got you at the right time where you couldn't quite leave where you started, but you were one, like you said, you were stretched between two points. And so instead of you letting go, I'm just imagining you like stretched and suspended over like this big chasm of just like (laughs) agnosticism. And instead of having you hold on to one and let go, he had you holding on to both. And so when it was time for you to finally leave what you grew up in, you had a foundation underneath you and a new community and new friends and, and a whole new life, a whole new life. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. It reminds um, me of the the scene in Lord of the Rings where they're in like, I, okay. So I don't remember all the names of everything. So I'm so sorry. I got to you. All the fans. Um, but whenever Aragorn, <laughs> whenever they're trying to like, they're in like the goblins or the, like under the mountain or whatever. And the bridge that they're walking on is like collapsing, but they have to get like the little hobbit to the other side or whatever. And Aragorn throws them or wherever. <laughs> But you know how like they're like there's people on the other side already who like they they're like yeah yeah over um and hesitant but like as you're still looking towards that like what's underneath of you is crumbling because you're already looking for that next thing so at some point there's a jump that's not a perfect analogy but I just kept it like the entire time we we're talking about I was like oh it's like I've seen this before this is deja vu I think it like it's like what I think of is like this is obviously kind of an extreme example, but like the, there's this idea within like human services that when you leave a abusive or unhealthy environment, you have to have like, before you make the choice and you kind of take the jump of leaving, you have to have a plan. Like you have to have support resources. Like you have to have somewhere to go, something to do something to kind of like catch you when you fall out. So I, I think that's a great way to describe to describe exactly what you did. Like you weren't just like, I'm going rogue guys, like <laughs> forging my own path, yeah. <laughs> which is like not, not helpful or healthy. So. Yeah. Right. No, I got you. Um, you mentioned earlier having kids. Um, so if you have kids, um, how do you want to raise them and what do you want them to learn? I guess I don't, I don't really care about the specifics, but <laughs> um, like I don't care if you want like two girls and three boys. Um, but what do you want them to learn, I guess, about faith and the church and who God is 
Yeah, um, I've thought about that a lot. I have, like, there are days where I'm, like, super prideful. I'm like, man, as long as I just don't do what I was taught, then they're going to be great. And then the rest of the week, the other six days of the week, I panic. And I'm like, wow, my kids are going to be screwed because I'm going to try and do the right thing, which I think that my parents genuinely tried to do the right thing. Um, but I'm like, I'm gonna, I try, I'm going to try to do the right thing and they're just going to be screwed up, like, no matter what I do. Um, and so I think the most important thing, um, is to point them to Christ and to tell them that, uh, tell them that he loves them. Um, that no matter, like, I don't want my kids to live in fear. Like that's, that's one thing is like, I want my kids to have a great relationship with me. I don't want them to live in fear of God and live in fear of their parents, I want them to be able, and I think that's what every parent yeah. wants. Like every parent wants their kid to be able to come and talk to them about stuff. Um, but I think there are things that are helpful for that and things that would hinder that. Um, and so I want to reinforce the fact that I love them and that my love for them is unconditional. It's not going to be based on how well they perform. Um, even though I'm going to you know, push them to do good and great things like it's it's not going to depend on anything that they can or can't do and i want them to know that god's love for them um because of christ death on the cross is not dependent on anything that they can or can't do because they can't do like <laughs> it's not about them yeah. um yeah thanks for sharing that uh, so if if two more questions left um if you could go back five or six years and tell yourself something about the journey you were about to take, what would it be? It's been, has it, has it been five, six years? That's six years. Oh no. Well, I think the question is still relevant. It's been, it'll be four years since, okay. since things kind of ended there. If that's what you're saying. No way it can be six. Um, Cause I don't even think I've known Josh for six years. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Um, but I think I think the question is still yeah for sure. Um, yeah, I wrote so I wrote a ton of points on this one. Um, so I'm you can just read it verbatim if you'd like. It looks good. Yeah, it is probably grammatically. It is for sure grammatically incorrect. Anyway, so here we go. Um, what would I tell myself uh, about the journey that I were about to take? Um, I think something that would be helpful to know for me sooner or later is that I'm not the only one to experience that, um, and that you're going to make it like meeting other people later on down the road who are like, yeah, like this was like so many people go through this or I have personally experienced this. Um, like it makes you feel like you're not the only one. Um, for the longest time, it's like, oh, I'm opposing God because I'm opposing my dad. But it's no, like this is just really bad theology or this is a really bad worldview to have or just like a really bad way um, of viewing family. Um I think knowing that like, hey, family is not supposed to function this way and it's not sinful or wrong for you to recognize sin. Even if you can't quite put a finger on it, it's not bad for you to recognize and to have these thoughts that this is not right because that's not what God wants. Um, I think I think there are like comforting things that I would tell myself like I would have friends for the first time um, and like they will be like, the best friends I'll ever have and that I'll be on a podcast one day with them. Um, and um, that you're going to have to deal with a lot of hard stuff that you're going to have to um, be, you know, cut off from 
your family because that's biblical, but also the comfort with the truth that like God adopts us mm-hmm. into his family, um, that we were outcasts and that he has brought us in um, and that the Christian community is so important and there will be people who end up uh, bringing me into their family along the way. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, and that, you know, you're going to deal with so many really angry thoughts. Um, you're going to be angry at your, you're going to be angry at your dad. You're going to be angry at God and at yourself. Um, because you don't understand what's going on. Um, but God is going to protect you from those thoughts and he's going to protect you from yourself. Um, and he's going to put people in your life to protect you and point you back to him. Um, the other thing I think I would tell myself, um, and this might be to just like practical college advice, just to own it. Um, like to, I don't know. I don't want to say just like grow mm-hmm. up, but there's a, there's a certain amount of grit that you have to like to do the right thing. And I, I didn't do everything perfectly, but to do the right thing, like it takes a certain level of grit to make yourself, um, to pick yourself up and do that. And I also had people there to like help me get up. Um, but mm-hmm. tell myself like you might live in a lot of fear, but don't let that consume you. Um, that, don't be like, don't be afraid to experience the joy of knowing Christ. Like, don't let that scare you because it is biblical for you to, to know God and to love him and to joy in knowing and loving him and knowing that he loves you. Um, and, uh, I said to read gentle and lowly as soon as it's published. Shout out to my man, Jane. Uh, yeah. Great. You had a praying life in here as well. I think. Oh, yeah, it was like was a, two books that kind of changed your life. Yeah, big big ones there. Um, but I think too, like, don't be afraid. For me too, a lot of it was just like I had never had been out in the world. Really, I had never been, had much of a social life um, other than my um, nineteen kids and counting um, six <laughs> siblings. But um, yeah, so going to the store is not as scary as you think. Um, you don't have to worry that you're going to fall away from God because you are going down the bread aisle and I don't know, just like, don't worry about it. Like life is, mm. I don't know. Nothing makes me want to fornicate like a good loaf of bread. That's true. Know. It's a little Debbie aisle for me. <laughs> yeah, it that's really, true. It really is. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's also like, I would tell myself like Christians, like obviously the world is disappointing. Um, but I would tell myself like Christians are never going to fail to disappoint you. Um, but God will also never fail to extend grace and bring healing to you because he is the, um, he's the good shepherd and he loves mm-hmm. you and you might be disappointed in your understanding of his goodness, but he will never ultimately disappoint. Um, and yeah, I think like, um, recognizing, like, I, I think this also goes back to like how I want like what I want to tell my kids is like you are going to be disappointed by like, you're not going to walk through life without being um, frustrated or disappointed. Like when the world fails you, when Christians fail you, like you're not going to not experience both of those things. So what matters and what is going to count is like where your faith lies and who your faith lies in. Um, Cause whenever my world was pulled out from underneath of me in that moment, I realized that the only thing I had left was Christ because Christ was who I was trying to pursue. And I realized like, in a way, like the only way that I saw that Christ was 
um, the most important thing it was was whenever everything else was taken away. Um, and until that happened, I don't, I didn't recognize that. Um, and that it kind of felt like, even though I think I was a Christian before that, that it kind of felt like in that moment, like that was the first time I like gave my life <laughs> to the Lord because that was the person that I could so clearly see whenever everything else was taken away. Um, yeah, mm. that's what I would tell myself. Um, maybe to throw away those glasses because those look god awful on you. Take off the glasses um, and put in contacts. You don't have a calic. You have curly hair. True. <laughs> Honestly, the best piece of advice somebody could have told me was that I was not born with a stupid calic, but that <laughs> yeah. buzz cuts should only exist in the army. Yep. Well, I think um, I think all of your experiences, although they have been hard and I would not wish them upon you, obviously, they've made you a, a very empathetic and generous and kind person, um, which is a testament, you know, not only to how moldable you are as a person, but, you know, also how God can take horrible things and make them make them good further down the road. Um, and I don't think you've quite seen, you know, the the best, the best is yet to come for you, I guess mm-hmm. is what I'll say. Yeah. I don't think you've quite seen over the mountaintop of this season. And I think there's a lot of really good things, a lot of hard things, but a lot of, a lot more good things um, on the other side of this. So uh, I can't wait. Yeah. Emily, you have anything you want to say as we. Nope. Just that loved having Josh on. Like this was so good. I yeah, I'm, I'm so prideful me. and every time we do a new episode I'm like that was better than the last one and then when we have people like guests on I'm like okay this is actually better than the last one because like <laughs> <laughs> our friends are just good so it was really cool to hear you share yeah. well thank you yep. guys for having me anytime this was just our way to get you into like a group talk yeah actually, actually yeah so <laughs> This was actually an assignment for me, <laughs> I so I will be submitting this to my professors. This counts as practice. Yeah. You're actually on camera. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> Is that why I have a waiver in my inbox? <laughs> yeah, that informed <laughs> yeah. consent needs Video to be submitted form. ASAP. <laughs> for, I'll get right on that. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on and dealing with all of our technical issues. Uh, hopefully, we managed to capture the entirety of this episode. Um but yeah, it was great to have a voice on that wasn't a brown sister. Um, and although we miss Claire, we definitely uh, this was definitely great. We'll have to have you back on at some point to talk about something else, maybe something less serious. But who knows? Um, yeah, see you at Christmas. I'll see you at Thanksgiving. <laughs> I won't see you at Thanksgiving. Yeah, we need to make our Thanksgiving plans. You didn't do our thing, Abby. The thing. The thing that we say at the end of every episode. I'm not done yet. Oh, well, I don't want our Christmas Thanksgiving plans to be in the recording. Well, I wasn't going to start. Gosh, get get (laughs) together. All right. Well, uh, we do this for the love of the church and the life of the world. Um, Thanks for going on a reflective road trip with us and Josh on on our wits end. Uh, Josh was definitely driving the boat on this one. So we appreciate him and his time and his... um, generosity and sharing his story and we hope that it resonates with some of you thanks for listening and we will see you guys in the next episode bye